0: You know, the thing about the Christian life is that it was never meant to be a secret, right? It was never meant to be a secret. I think, despite the Facebook and Instagram culture, that we are still, by and large, a fairly closed in and private people. I, I really believe that. Maybe there's a lot of distrust in the government, so we're kind of. You know, uh, we're kind of slow to put out anything important out there. I mean, recently we had the CEO of Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, right? He was facing Congress about some Privacy Act issues of, distri- of distributing the uh, customer's personal information to um, whoever is willing to pay the highest, really. And so Facebook and other social media outlets, they, they do have our personal contact information, but you'll notice that really the stuff that we put out there is really select material. You get what I'm saying? It's really select. It's not, it's not like if you're having a marital issue, you're going to post it up, right? You're, unless you're really kind of slow, you're not going to put your social security number or your credit card information or anything like that. Typically, it's, it's about good things, right? Happy things, joyful things. You know, I, I got into his job. I, I, I got a baby or things like that. We put out those type of information, and so we'll never do anything that would kind of uh, put blame on us or incriminate us or anything like that. So in a way, we're still very secretive, right? Now maybe for some of us, we think faith, not just our biblical uh, Christian faith, but faith or religion in general ought to be a private matter too. In fact, as much as we hate when people come, certain groups of people come knocking on our door to share their faith, we also think that, you know what? I don't want to hear your faith, and quite honestly, I'm not going to share my faith either. Because this should be just left to your own thing, this is my own personal thing, and we'll leave it at that. Maybe even prayers over a meal during, let's say, a company outing, or let's say you are at school, or at work, or whatever, and you're surrounded by unbelieving friends, like, you know you ought to pray because you want to bless the Lord for His provision, right? But, but you do it kind of secretly, or you do it with your eyes open, Right? You're like, Lord, please. And you, you quickly mutter a word of bre- a blessing, and the people are like, kind of talk to you, but you're ignoring them for, like, five seconds because it's just really awkward, right, at that moment. Uh, I do that. I mean, every time I take my daughter to school, I pray for her as I take her to her cubby, right? And without fail, all t- every time she comes in, there's, like, 15 kids running, Ada! And I'm, and I'm trying to pray for her. Ada is trying to do her best to, like, be prayed for. But, you know, you can, I can see her because my eyes are kind of open, and she's like, I just like so overwhelmed as I'm praying, and then finally I say, amen. She's like, amen, right? And so we're, we're like that. We, we, we kind of, we're kind of defensive and protective and shy, maybe even secretive about our prayer and stuff like that, even over something as basic as praying a blessing over our food. Now, maybe when people ask about faith or religion in a general way, and maybe not asking you directly, but kind of discussing, talking about it, you get kind of overwhelmed and a bit kind of, I don't know. Uh, self-conscious about it when people talk about religion i know it's a hot topic you you don't talk about politics you don't talk about sex you don't talk about religion but let's say religion is talked about you kind of quickly pray and say lord can you steer the conversation to something else steer the conversation to to the weather to to the nba playoffs to something else because i am uncomfortable talking about certain aspects of my faith and what's sad is this, even within our church, not just our church, but churches in general, even in small group contexts, even with ministry contexts, there are certain things that are spoken only in the back room, in the closed doors. You know, things that, things that should be discussed among the body of believers. The, the thing is this, your faith was never meant to be private. Your faith was never meant to be private. Because from the beginning, our Savior, Jesus, he modeled the fact that he never conducted his ministry in secret. It was always very public, always very, this is who I am, and this is what we're doing. So yes, Jesus, he had an inner circle. Yes, he even spoke in parables at times, but even at his arrest, he challenged the accusers with the fact that he said, you know what? You've been trying to get me this entire time. I've been teaching openly. I've been healing publicly. I've been speaking plainly In fact, I have sent my disciples to do the same. We're not hiding anything. We're not hiding anything at all. His life was not conducted in secret. And that's where we're at today. Because it's that open and transparent, nothing to hide, presentation of himself that is really the theme of this text this afternoon. So here we see Jesus' first contact with his building up of his disciples, his first disciples, okay? And so I really have one point. My point is this. If you want to see if Jesus is true, you must come and see for yourself, okay? If you want to see if Jesus really is the Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and not just some lofty idea of God, but if he is your personal Savior and the one who will bring satisfaction, the one who will bring contentment in your life, the one who will heal your marriage and heal your past wounds, If 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 you really want to see who Christ is, then you must come and see for yourself. Amen? So our story begins with Andrew and some unnamed friend. They're talking to John the Baptist, not because he is a Baptist denominationally, but because that's his ministry. He baptized believers. And so some people, they call him John the Baptizer. So anyways, Andrew and his friends, they're they're talking to John the Baptist when all of a sudden Jesus comes by and John points them to Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God. So immediately they begin following Jesus. Now, they definitely heard of what John had said about Jesus. And based on John's recommendation, they thought, if this guy is really what John is saying he is, the Messiah, we got to check him out. Like, if he really is the Savior of the world, we got to check him out. And so let's go see if Jesus is really true. And so the two, as they were following Jesus, almost immediately there's like this awkward moment. Because Jesus turns and asks them, What are you seeking? Now, that doesn't sound bad at all. That sounds actually kind of nice. What are you seeking? But it it wasn't like that. What Jesus said was kind of awkward because as these two guys are kind of stalking him and following him, Jesus turns around and says, What do you want? And it wasn't like, I am perturbed, I'm irritated at you kind of creeping alongside me. And and it wasn't that. He was saying, What do you want? What do you want? Now, on one hand, it seems like a simple question, but on the other hand, it was a profound question. And here's why it's profound. Because, folks, sooner or later, when we begin to take Jesus seriously, we'll also be faced with this same question. What do you really want with him? What do you really want from him? This is the question we have to ask ourselves right now, because really, How we answer this very question, okay, will gauge where you're spiritually at. It will gauge where you're spiritually at. Because if we answer with anything but, I want you, because you are my satisfaction, you are my joy, you are my contentment, Jesus, you are my all in all, and I want you and nothing else. If it is anything but that answer, then that goes to show that really our hearts And our affections and our desires, and ultimately our spirits are directed towards something else outside of Christ. And we know that anything apart from Christ is nothing. You guys following me? Jesus is saying to you today not just the day that you were converted, not just the day that when you experienced some revival, but He's asking you today. What do you want? You see, on the 22nd of April 2018, as you sit here in Shining Star Community Church, hearing, hearing a, a, pre- a preacher preach, the Lord is saying to you today, What do you want? Of all anything that's on your mind, considering the burdens of your life and the difficulty that you're facing and the questions that you've got that are just rolling around, He's saying, What do you want? So probably embarrassed and maybe not knowing exactly on what level that they should answer this question, they say something kind of superficial here, okay? They say, uh oh, where are you staying? Where are you staying? And honestly, it's not, it's not a dumb question. I think we'd do the same thing if we got kind of caught. They're essentially saying, where are you from? Where are you, what are you doing? Where are you going? In other words, Jesus, I would like to talk more with you. I'm interested, I'm really curious, because my disciple, my mentor, John Baptist, has been proclaiming about the Savior, and he said that you are him, that you are he. Behold, the Lamb of God has come. I want to get to know you better. And so we see that this wasn't a problem for Jesus. He wasn't annoyed, because Jesus is open to those who want more. How beautiful is that, right? He's open to people who are curious and who want more. He doesn't put them off. He doesn't shun them. Instead, he opens his life. And so he says, come and see. Come and see. Jesus says, come and see. And so they go and they spend the rest of the day with him. And how awesome is that? And so what was the result? The next day, Andrew goes with conviction to find his brother. And he tells him the news. We have found the Messiah. All right, so maybe today you're like Andrew. He was a disciple of John. His heart has certainly been prepared through the ministry of John, softened with, by his sense of sinfulness and willingness to repent because, after all, John's message was always about repent, repent. The kingdom of God is near, right? Has God brought you to that same place in your life today? Maybe this afternoon you're here wondering about Jesus. Is Jesus really everything to me? I've tried looking in all sorts of places in my life, looking for something, something, love, relationship, money, career, pleasure, maybe into my academics or into personal well-being. And you got to ask yourself, is Jesus really better than all of those pursuits? Is Jesus really what my heart has been searching for? Come to him honestly, and he will say, come and see. Don't hear from me. You, come and see for yourselves. I don't want you ever place an the expectation of meeting Jesus just from one Sunday sermon. Jesus is the only one in this world and in your life who will never disappoint you. Who will never disappoint you. To grow in your faith, you must come to see Jesus. The second person addressed by Jesus in these verses is Simon Peter. Now, we're not told much except that he was dragged by his little brother, Andrew. Okay? I remember um, when I was a big tennis fanatic. In fact, uh, as a senior in high school, I, I was working as a tennis instructor at the local Regency Sports and Health Club in McLean. And I had found out that Michael Chang, yes, the Michael Chang, the number two player in the whole wide world was coming to the club to do a workshop. Meaning this, probably for like an hour, he was going to hit with his, his brother, who was his coach, and, and he was going to get mic'd up, and he was just going to talk and all this stuff, and it was going to be fantastic. And I was so excited. He was my hero, right? And so knowing that my little brother, Danny, loved tennis too, I brought him along. And so as we're watching, the Chang man effortlessly just hit the ball with such power and precision, I was, I got to be honest, I was just kind of drooling. And I was this is, this, is, this is me at the net. This is what I was doing because they, they shielded him. So I was doing this. And I was just watching, just completely enamored by this awesome guy. And it wasn't just because he's such an awesome player. He was an awesome player. He was the youngest ever, went the French Open at the age of 17. But also, more importantly to me, it was he was a faithful man of God. And that just inspired me. I just love that about him so as I'm watching Danny disappears and then maybe a minute or two comes to me and starts tugging at my shirt saying this is when he's like 11 or 12 or something like that and he tugs at my shirt and says you need to come here I literally swat his hand off me and I say leave me alone I was so mad I mean, how often do you get to watch national treasure like Michael Chang perform before you? So again, a minute or two later passes, and, and then I feel another tugging at my shirt. And again, is Danny saying, you need to come with me. At this point, I am irate, okay? I feel, look, I was so mad. And I, look, I, I said, don't ever bother me again. Do you see who that is, Danny? Danny just kind of disappears. Don't all him. <laughs> I felt bad for a second. My mom told me to take care of him. But come on, it was Michael Chang, priorities, right? So after a few minutes, Michael Chang he kinda ends his session. And then he starts saying that he's gonna do a lot of giveaways. Raffles. And so he's calling out raffle ticket numbers and handing out awesome things like like actual tennis rackets. His amazing tennis rackets. He's just handing them out. He's giving out t-shirts and autographed memorabilia and uh, and signed tennis balls and all this stuff. And like almost everyone, because it wasn't that big of a group, but almost everyone was getting it. And I'm freaking out and I'm thinking, "How, how in the world are all these people getting all this wonderful swag? And so, as one of, the only, one of the few only people walking out empty-handed, I began to lament to Danny about how cruel and unfair the world was. And that's when he piped up and said, that's why I told you to come follow me. <laughs> so that we would sign up and put our names in. One of my life's biggest regrets. <laughs> now, we know some things about Peter, don't we? We know, first of all, that he was dragged by his brother. He listened, unlike me. But not only was he taken to Jesus by his brother, but in terms of his personality, we know that he doesn't have the best reputation. He's known as being impulsive. He's known as really being a volatile, unreliable. He's, he's outspoken. He's like this no-nonsense, impatient, rough-cut fisherman from Galilee. I'm sure Peter had all this A really bad reputation, And and I'm sure that the Son of God knew about his reputation too. But as Jesus meets this person whom Andrew has brought, his brother, Jesus carefully looks at him and says, in effect, I know you. You're the son of John, right? You see, Jesus doesn't just see Simon in terms of who he is, in terms of his reputation. Jesus sees what he's able to make of Simon. You hear that? Jesus sees him as he's able to make out something. So Jesus goes, from now on, okay, you're going to be called the rock man. The rock. Peter, that's what Peter means, rock man. But the funny thing is, that's the very thing Peter's not. He's anything but a rock. And so, yes, we know his failures, but history would prove, in fact, that Jesus was right all along. Because this rock of a man went to be one of the first of the apostles... Boldly and courageously and unflinchingly listening and following and obeying the commandment of Christ, even all the way to his death. Peter would indeed be the rock man who would lead the charge to turn the world upside down for God. Are you Peter today? Maybe you were dragged here a bit reluctantly by a spouse or by a friend or by a parent. Maybe you're a believer, but you also kind of know yourself. You know you've messed up. You know your pain. You know your past. And you know that you're anything but holy. You're anything but reliable. Anything but faithful. And you know you've messed up and sinned so much. You might ask yourself, God, how could you ever use someone like me? I'm so messed up. The great thing about this is that Christ doesn't see you based on your past reputation, but he identifies you by the way that he wants to mold and shape you. That's why we say, Christ is our hope, and he is our freedom. It's sin and past guilt and shame. That's what binds us. It's a life lived apart from Christ that binds us and entangles us. Instead, it is the love and mercy and grace of Christ that frees us. But already Peter knew what Jesus was all about. Then in verse 43, we have Philip. Now, I love Philip. You see, he is absolutely one of the most ordinary of all the disciples. He is as vanilla as they come. Let's give it a shout out to ordinary people. Right? Yeah. Like, when you watch YouTube or read the news, you hear about all these amazing people doing amazing, crazy things. Uh, I, I I was reading up on Elon Musk. This guy is insane. He works on Tesla, and on his spare time, he works on SpaceX. On his spare time, he also works on the Hyperloop, right? This guy is a madman. People say he's like the modern-day Tony Starks, a.k.a. the Iron Man, right? They say he's amazing. And so when we read of these things, we get a bit discouraged. Like I read of his life and what he's accomplished so far, and I'm like thinking, what have I done with my life, right? When I follow some of my favorite pastors and preachers and teachers and theologians, you get a sense of wonder and awe and reverence for what they've accomplished. Peter walked on water, for goodness sakes. But what about Philip? He was pretty ordinary. But you see, in that ordinariness, Jesus, he wants to use you. In your ordinariness, I know this sounds like a backhanded comment, right? In your ordinariness, Jesus wants to use you because those great men and women of faith, they became great because they were faithful in the ordinary. Does that make sense? They're faithful in the ordinary. Rarely does anyone jump into greatness overnight. It's about being faithful in the mundane. That means that for the Christian who wants to grow in their faith and be able to lead one day and make an impact upon this world, it's all about starting with your commitment to quiet times. It's all about being consistent in your prayers. It's all about the consistency and the faithfulness in the ordinary things. It's about daily ministering of your family, the daily working at your job with integrity, the daily grind, if you will, that God, he will use that daily faithfulness as a platform for you to grow exponentially in faith. That's how it happens. So back to Philip. Evidently, he was there when John was baptizing all the people. And they're all from this town, little town of Galilee and the town of Bethsaida. But even his friends, they don't seem to think of him as a possible disciple of Jesus. And honestly, he doesn't really seem to be taking the initiative either. He was probably just kind of standing around, watching and waiting to be asked. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're just really ordinary, right? Maybe you're just ordinary, standing in the back, and all you do is kind of people watch, and you talk only when you're asked something. But embrace ordinary. Turn to the neighbor and say, it's okay to be ordinary. Let me say this. It's a bit of a tangent, but hear me out. I was convicted. To the wives here, a lot of your husbands are ordinary, including you, Grace, wherever she's at. Oh, she's in the back with the baby. Maybe your husband isn't a charismatic, dynamic, vocal man of God. Maybe he's not always leading you all in Bible study and preparing your children into young theological minds. But he's faithful. He serves you, and he serves the kids to the best of his ability. He works hard at his job. Whatever time he has, he spends it with you. And he spends it to grow and mature your children, your family. He's devoted to the body of Christ. There is a faithful presence about him. Wives, and also to our single ladies who one day want to get married, know this, that is a good thing. That is a great thing. God can use, and he certainly does use, the ordinariness of his character because God can bring him where he needs to, when he wants to. The same goes for our wives who may not be as spectacular as we hoped. May not cook like mom, or may not look this way, or may not act that way, or say those things. And so, in her ordinariness, fellas, to the men here, single guys, but also to the husbands, we must embrace her love and her support and faithfulness of you and the children and also of the Lord. Cherish her. Cherish her gentleness. Cherish her quietness. And the same goes for our children. Not everyone will have kids who are going to have this type A personality and are going to be successful. I mean, just yesterday I showed Grace this 10-year-old kid playing some, like, crazy violin. Maybe our kids aren't going to do that. Embrace the ordinariness of our children, too. Just because someone in your life isn't meeting your expectation of what a man of God or a woman of God ought to be like, that does not mean that he or she does not matter to Christ. Okay? On the contrary, in verse 43, Jesus himself, the Lord of the lords himself, went and found Philip and called him to follow. How awesome is that? The Lord himself sought after Philip and called him to follow. And when he did, Philip ended up giving the most thorough witness concerning Jesus' identity. In verse 45, he said, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. If Jesus is true, you must come and see for yourself. Come and see what he can do with ordinary guys like you and me. So Philip, he became convinced that Jesus is true. And so he went and he found Nathanael. So Philip tells Nathanael, the Messiah, Hey, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets also, also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth. Nathanael was immediately put off. He was immediately put off that anyone would ever believe that a Messiah would come from such a low rent place as Nazareth. But regardless, he was brought to Jesus. And as he approached Jesus, Jesus reads him like a book. He says, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel dumbfoundedly responds, How do you know me? How did you know what I was thinking? And then Jesus said, When you were under a fig tree, I saw you. The idea is that Nathanael, while sitting under a tree at his home, he was waiting, and he was looking, and he was wondering, and now here is a man who knows him before he meets him. Here we have a man who, has, who knows his heart even before he ever sees his face. Nathanael had no response but to say, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And so here we have some of the first disciples of Christ. And you can see that there was nothing really spectacular about them, right? Very ordinary people, really. And they had their own issues. There's nothing amazing about them that would lead Christ to pick them. And yet Christ was able to use them in powerful ways, more powerful than they could ever ever imagined. And so folks, maybe today we're like Andrew. You've been on quite a spiritual journey. And you've wondered about Jesus, but you don't quite know yet how to approach him. Maybe you're like Peter, a bit out of control and everyone else certainly knows it too. But you're too proud to admit that under your tough exterior lies a heart that is afraid of what it might do or what might be revealed. You feel boxed in maybe. And also in that you don't know how to approach the Savior. Maybe you're like Philip. You're just kind of standing around, standing aloof, waiting for something just to happen in your life. Some spiritual big meteor hit for you, for you to just come to know. Maybe that's what you're doing. You're waiting for something or someone, but you really don't know what. But you're ordinary in your walk. You're ordinary in your life. And you don't really want to stir the pot. You don't want to make ways. So even in that, you don't know really how to proceed in your journey with Christ. Or maybe you're like Nathaniel. There's an intensity in you. You're digging, and you're wondering, and you're speculating about what God might be doing, but you're still unsure about the future. There's a sense of uncertainty in your life. Every one of their positions were answered by Jesus, and get this, in Jesus. Okay? Jesus did not point elsewhere. He didn't say, well, do this first. Complete that. Obtain this. He says, where you are at in your life, in the current season of your life, I will meet you there. I will meet you there. To be satisfied in whatever season of life you're in, we must come and see who Christ is. And as you can see, someone seeking to find and grow in Christ has no limitations, but the limitations they place on themselves. So folks, I'm not talking about being saved. It is by grace that we are saved, Right? But my point is, what happens after we're saved? There's nothing about your past, your present, or fear of future that prohibits God from rescuing you, restoring you, and maturing you. This is more of a wake-up call, I think, for his saints here. Because even in your uncertainty, don't stop pressing into knowing Jesus. Even with your rough reputation, the key is to submit and surrender yourself to Jesus. Even in your ordinariness, don't settle, but faithfully expect to grow in your pursuit of knowing Christ. Even in your existing knowledge of God, don't let yourself ever stop growing in hunger for more of Him. Now there's one last thing I want to mention. Folks, when Andrew found Christ, he immediately went and found his brother Peter. Peter was a great apostle eventually we know that right he preached in the time of pentecost 3 3000 people were converted you don't really hear much about andrew aside from the fact that he pointed out to jesus hey jesus there's a huge crowd who's hungry and there's a boy with five loaves of bread and two fish but i don't know if that's going to do anything <laughs> that's what he said the fact is this andrew reached out to his brother because he loved his brother Let love lead you to point people to Christ. Share the gospel, not because you get to check a box in heaven, but because there is a love that you have for that person's soul. There is a love for Christ to be known. And remember Philip, Mr. Ordinary? He was the one who brings the deep thinker the intellectual Nathaniel to Jesus. And now Philip he doesn't pretend to be able to argue with Nathaniel's objections. He doesn't claim to know all the answers to try to satisfy all his queries. All Philip knew was that he himself had come to know the savior of the world. Like all he knew was Jesus. He didn't have all the answers. He didn't have all the biblical knowledge, but he knew the Savior. And the only thing he knew that he had to do was extend that invitation to Nathaniel so that he too would come and see and know the Lord. In our witnessing, we need to stop at the gimmicks and the arm-twisting techniques. I know you want to bring people here. I know you want to bring people to know Jesus. We, are witnesses, mean this, that our job is simply to tell what we have seen and heard. What we have seen and heard. Not only that, we're called to be witnesses of where we are, meaning we're called to share what we know with those whom we know best. In other words, our friends and our family. And even if it's awkward, even if they're tugging at you and your hands get swatted, we must tell them. And finally, we don't have to wait until we know everything, until we can answer every objection. We are not saved because we completely understand God. We're saved because we understand our brokenness and we understand our need for God. Our task is to point people to Jesus and for them to find out for themselves. Folks, there is no secret to the, agenda of, uh, the agendas of Christ. He openly presents himself to us as our only Savior and Lord. Is he true? Then come and see. Come and see. And folks, even though you say you're a believer, this is a reminder for us each and every day. Because each and every day, the Lord is saying, come and see. And each and every day in our defiance, we say, I know enough. Or I don't care enough. Remind yourself of this invitation every day as we live it out in action to those around us so they too would know the Savior of the souls. So let's come before him because he invites us to him. Amen? Let's pray. Your grace and your mercy astounds us, Lord, that the four men mentioned with their flaws and with their very vanilla-esque lives and, and wherever they are, wherever they were in their lives were called by you. And I thank you, Jesus, that, that as I see myself in the description of those saints in the Bible, that the reality is I don't have to present myself in any other way but the way I am. As a broken as a needy, as a failed, unqualified human being. And knowing who I am allows me to know who you are. And Father, I pray that that would allow us to also appreciate more of who you are, how good you are, that you would save a wretch like me. I thank you that you've invited us and that this pursuit, this faith, finding you, Christ, was never some secret reserve only for a select group of people. No, no, no. Your word has spoken; been spoken today and your invitation has been offered to every single soul that is sitting here before you. Brothers and sisters, the Lord asks, come and see. Come and see him today. And for those of us who have been walking with him, it's been maybe months or several years, or many, many years, that invitation doesn't stop. Folks, every single day, I pray that you would know that the invitation is there for you. Every day, would you come and see that the Lord is beckoning you and he's calling out to you to draw near to him so judge your own heart evaluate where you're at spiritually and kind of gauge yourself come before him today in prayer repent what needs to be repented of surrender what needs to be surrendered give up to the lord what you've been idolizing what you've been dreaming about, what you've been fantasizing about, what you've been just seeking after so wholeheartedly that that Christ has become really just a figure rather than the Lord of your life. Let's take this time and pray.